Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, is this morning's text. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14 and read through verse 29 the story of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, uh, his execution, his death, and uh, a story of courage, a story of conflict. And we're going to take a, a hopefully a serious look at, at some uh, powerful verses in the Bible. Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. Before I read, I would invite you to a time of prayer. Let's bow in silence to be in God's presence, to just experience the Holy Spirit's presence in us, washing us, tugging at us, clarifying messages to us, or simply just loving us, being in God's presence and letting ourselves be loved and be hugged by God. Eternal Spirit, it it just is so wonderful to be wrapped in your embrace that you might heal grief and sorrow and uncertainty and worry, that you might, through your Spirit, touch bodies of those that are broken and bruised and that you might show the path to those who are confused and lost. We thank you for your loving touch and for the reality that we can simply be in your presence. We don't have to be asking for anything. We can just be basking in your goodness and mercy. We do pray today that you'll hear our prayers, grant us understanding, grant us courage for the doing of your will. Bless that part of our congregation that is traveling today on their way home from the mission trip our youth and their sponsors. We want to thank you so much for the doors that have been opened, for the ministry that has happened, for the lives that are touched this week, and for the lives of our youth that have been touched and permanently changed. We pray for those to whom they ministered, immigrants, homeless, displaced, those without Christ, that the gospel seed might have been sown in a powerful way and that your world would be transformed by the power of the gospel. Bless us now with open hearts, that the words of my mouth, the meditations collectively of our hearts, might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. If you're able, would you stand, please? And I'll read aloud this passage. It will be on the screen. King Herod heard of it, that is, of the miracles of Jesus and his followers. For Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison. And on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, 
and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Maybe as much or more than any other story in the gospel, this story sets out for us the clear uh, battle between good and evil. Uh, It brings into focus the clashing of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of earthly empires. And uh, to help us get everything straight, I want to introduce the players. First of all, Herod Antipas. The Herod in this story is the son and successor of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the one that we read of in our Christmas and Advent stories as he tried to trick the wise men into telling him where the child was because he was so insanely jealous that this prophesied child would become a king and challenge him. And he slaughtered all the innocent babies trying to find Jesus. That was Herod the Great. He died. And after he died, this son, Herod Antipas, uh, became the ruler. Now, Herod Antipas uh, was the ruler of this tiny region in a backwater country uh, in the Roman Empire. But he liked to be called king. And in fact, uh, historical documents show us that he had appealed to Caesar Augustus to be named king officially, and Caesar had refused. He said, you're just Herod. You're just ruler of a small district. But you almost get the feeling that Mark, in telling the story, is being sarcastic and is being very subversive, and it's like he's using air quotes. King Herod said this. King Herod did that as if to say he's not really a king, he's just a wannabe. And then there's another question to ask as we've introduced Herod Antipas, and that is, why was John the Baptist in prison and why was he executed? And as you heard from the story, it's because Herod was living in open sin with his sister-in-law. And John the baptizer had called him out on it, talked to him about it, and preached against it. If you remember, John the Baptist really had one sermon, just lots of variations on one sermon, and that was radical repentance. And John the Baptist believed that radical repentance was not just for the common people, but it was for political leaders too. 
And so he called uh, that ruler to radical repentance. And Herodias, Herod's partner, was insanely enraged by that, waiting for an opportunity to kill him when her daughter danced and the king foolishly said, anything you want, that's what she requested. So think about the contrast between the character of Herod and the character of John the Baptist. While John exhibited courage and calm, boldness and clear thinking, Herod was cowardly, weak, swayed by fear and guilt, swayed by being popular and being liked, swayed by his sexual urges, swayed by the moment rather than the big picture of things, and swayed by his own shame. That's the contrast between the characters. Now, I said earlier that hardly any gospel story ever condenses into one story, the epic battle between good and evil. This is not just a story about about the clash between Herod as an earthly ruler and John as the preacher and the forerunner of Jesus. It's not just an individual battle. It it represents something bigger, something more than national. It it represents something cosmic. Because you see, the Gospel of Mark was written intended to be a subversive message that said Roman Empire will not have the last say. The Gospel of Mark was written to say that there is an authority higher than human empires. There is an authority that challenges Rome's abuse and violence and power grabbing and hatred. There is a subversive message, a countercultural message in the Gospel of Mark that says that in the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, there is a new sheriff in town. There is, a, there is a new kingdom coming. And there may be blood and there may be struggle in the meantime, but the kingdom of God is coming and it is greater than any human empire. That's the message. And in that message... Mark included this story to say, John the Baptist is our role model. This is how we endure when earthly empires have all of their values twisted and upside down. Mark wants us to see that John the Baptizer is our role model and our hero. This is how we survive living out our countercultural message of the gospel as followers of Jesus. And he wants us to know that it's possible, even at great pain and great cost, to do so. There are modern versions of this gospel story and the clashing of kingdoms Uh, at the Baptist World Alliance in Zurich uh, earlier this month. I heard... uh, inspiring stories about Christians, Baptist Christians in North Korea. We we don't stop and think about Christians in places like this, but the Christians in North Korea are forced to worship in potato cellars 
And they can only mouth the words of their hymns. They can't sing out loud. So with their lips they mouth together the words of their hymns. They are constantly harassed by government officials. Have you distributed that black book, the Bible? They are constantly challenged to walk with their heads down lest in looking up they give praise to their high God. See, there are all kinds of ways that the empires of earth and the kingdom of God clash all the time, all around us. And you would notice if you're a careful reader of the bulletin that in the bulletin above the notes section, we put this scripture from Ephesians chapter 6, for our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. That's a reality that says we are really, really always in that battle, that cosmic battle of the clashing of the kingdoms. Now, let's take that a step further. And let's acknowledge that in our own Western Christian environment, we have at times caved to earthly empire rather than faithfully following Jesus' kingdom. Let's acknowledge that as an American church, we have some repenting to do on this very subject. I mean, it's never easy to talk about, but most Baptist churches were on the wrong, sli- wrong side of the slavery issue. Many of them were. You just read some of the sermons and some of the articles by Christians in the 1830s and 40s and 50s and 60s. The church has been at times on the wrong side of the civil rights issue of the 1950s and the 1960s. And the church has at times been on the wrong side of the issue of subjugation of women. And by the way, with the recent surge of the Me Too movement, dealing with the abuse and the assault sexually of of women particularly, Does it bother anybody else in this room that it was Hollywood that led that Me Too movement and not the church? I mean, is that embarrassing? Martin Luther King Jr. once said that the church makes a better taillight than it does a headlight. Coming along after rather than shining the light in the darkness. So this is a tough gospel word for me to hear. I don't know about you, but when I see John the baptizer standing up so courageously, thinking about the way he stood firm. And, you know, I've done a lot of thinking about this story in the the weeks of preparing for this sermon. See, I don't think John the Baptist woke up one day and said, I think I'm going to be courageous today. I think I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to have moral courage in tough times, as the empire pressures me. It didn't work that way. His life was made up of lots of small moral choices, of lots of daily decisions to do the right thing and take the right path and follow God and live God's justice. And that daily decision-making led to a pattern of moral courage 
that made it much easier for him to make that tough decision that said that it it cost him his life. Conversely, I don't think Herod woke up one day and said, I think I'll be a coward. I think I'll murder and I'll take care of myself and I won't care about anybody else and I will be expedient and I'll just do whatever helps me survive. He didn't do that one day. It was a series of daily choices over a lifetime of choosing compromise and lie and violence and hate and abuse. We all listen to some voice to make our moral choices and we all develop patterns that can do us in or help us survive in this present age. Well, I thought we'd do something fun this morning uh, since it's the middle of summer and school's about a month away. Isn't that terrible when the pastor mentions that in the middle of summer? Let's do a pop quiz. I'm going to show you a couple of quotes and I want you to see if you can guess who said these things. All right? Here's the first one. Remembering when we are going to die, remembering we are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. That's a a quote about courage, about moral courage. We're all going to die, so do the right thing. Now, um, anybody want to take a guess who said that? Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple Incorporated. It's as if he'd read this story about John the Baptist's execution and about his moral courage. I mean, that's that's pretty profound. Here's a second one. Let's try this one. If you don't stick to your values when they're being tested, they are not values, they're hobbies. Anybody know who said that? Anybody want to guess? You can speak up in church. You can talk back. This is the one time you can talk back. And then I will cut off the spigot. John Stewart used to be host of The Daily Show on Comedy Central. Now, you may not like those two men. You may not agree uh, with their outlook on life, but it doesn't matter. You know, God's truth can be found anywhere. What an amazing insight on John the Baptist's moral courage and the lack thereof in Herod. The clashing of the kingdoms. If you don't stick to your values when they're being tested, they're not values, they're hobbies. We make decisions, one decision at a time, step by step by step. I heard uh, Dr. Elijah Brown uh, at an earlier Baptist World Alliance meeting some time ago talk about the crisis in Syria. Christians, others of all faiths or no faith who were suffering displaced hundreds of thousands of people in Syria. And one Syrian Baptist said to Elijah Brown, he said, you know, in the West, you all are in your comfort zone, but you're always afraid. He said, here, we live with daily carnage, bombing, threats, and murders, war everywhere, and yet we live in the victory of Jesus Christ. He said, what... What's strange about that is the paradox that those in the West living in their comfort zones are living in fear and those of us living with daily death are living the victory of Christ. 
Interesting, isn't it? I read uh, somewhere, somebody said, most of us churchgoers are Sundayfied, but we're not surrendered. We're Sundayfied. We get dressed in our nice clothes. We do the Sunday thing, but we're not surrendered. Our hearts are not surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and to the Kingdom of God. We have accommodated the ways of empire. Are you Sundayfied or surrendered? Is your life obedient to Christ's kingdom vision? It's a tough call for all of us. It's the gospel invitation to search our souls. Let's pray together. Open our hearts, loving God, to your Holy Spirit and all that you want to accomplish in us. While we continue to pray for just a moment with heads bowed, the invitation call this morning for public confession of faith. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you've never come into a personal relationship with him to become a a part of his kingdom vision, an alternative way of living. That invitation is always open here at this church. We invite you to come to Christ, who's paid it all, who's done it all. We invite you to church membership if the Lord is calling you to that. You're already a believer, but you want to officially invest your life here. But the invitation is also for those of us right where we stand during the response time. Are we Sundayfied or surrendered? Are there areas of my life that need to come under the Lordship of Christ rather than some human banner. Amen. 